Morning, choir. Morning, everybody. Past Tuesday, my father turned 80, and so in order to see my father, I had to drive to the promised land. And when you cross that border from Tennessee, which just stinks, and you drive across that bridge and you come to the point of being in the state of Arkansas, all of a sudden, you can see better, you, you can hear better, you can smell better, you smell a bunch of hogs, and you have to admit, smelling hogs is not a bad thing, where you have bacon and our pork chops and all that kind of good stuff, but it was great to be able to celebrate with my father, 80 years, that's a long time. So I thank you for those that prayed for me and the trip. It was pretty quick up Monday, back Wednesday, but the Lord gave us a good day on Tuesday uh, together. So I thank him for that. Love that little uh, video there. It reminded me immediately of Psalm 46.1, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That word refuge means shelter. He's our shelter. You think about living in the Midwest, what that must be like. You would really value a shelter in the Midwest, kind of like we do here. But if you've ever been to the Midwest, there are no trees. Um, and you could see storms coming from miles and miles away. And uh, you might not think about that shelter a whole lot until you saw a storm coming across. And then you'd be going into that shelter. So I think that's kind of how it is in the Christian life. I think we, we go along in life and then the storm comes and we want our shelter, which is the Lord. And so we need to remember he's there for us all the time. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us no matter what the problem is that we may be going through. So let's have a word of prayer and then we will get started. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for <clears throat> the fact that um, you are our shelter, our refuge, a very present help in the times of storms. And as we get older in life, we come to realize that the storms pretty much are always present, but so are you. You're always present, and we can run to you, and we can rest in you knowing that there's not one thing in our life that you don't already know about. So that brings us comfort, that brings us peace. Father, we know that there are many in our congregation, even right now, who are going through uh, physical challenges, some of them great physical challenges. And we just remember those people. I pray that you would help them uh, to rest in you, uh, to find their shelter in you, that, um, Lord, I know when it comes to the physical peace, that's tied to the spiritual. And a lot of times there can be discouragement, and it can come about pretty easily when there's a physical issue. And so I pray that you would remind all of us that when there are storms in life, that you are there in the midst of the storm. I think about the, the disciples being on the Sea of Galilee and... And Lord, you're right there with them. And uh, they didn't need to look anywhere else for help. And when Peter was out walking on that water, 
what a time that must have been for him. But then as he began to sink, uh, he uh, prayed a very short prayer. <laughs> Lord, save me. And uh, Lord, we, we need that at times, just those simple prayers of Lord, help me. And we believe that you can do that and do that. And so I pray that as we are ministered to by you, that um, we would share those times of encouragement with others. And we just pray this morning that, um, Father, you would be honored in all this, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning we've all come, come together as a group of believers. And every one of us are here for one purpose. But I don't know what that purpose is. You're here for a reason. You got yourself out of the bed this morning, and you decided to come out in a, maybe a hard rain and everything to come to gather with other believers for some reason. Well, I hope that this, one of the reasons this morning is that we come together and that we praise the Lord. Because the Lord says, let everything that has life and breath praise the Lord. Have you got life this morning? <laughs> Do you have breath this morning? Well, then we're going to come together and we're going to praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Let's praise the Lord together. May we? You made the Testifies your splendor. Praise. 
seated. You might have wondered why it would pick a song like that, a song we don't sing a whole lot. But to continuously sing Alleluia, or it could be singing Hallelujah. Why would we sing something like this over and over and over again? Well, because when you translate that, it means praise the Lord. <laughs> the issue is a lot of times in our, in our culture, we say praise the Lord just as, in a, as a lot, many times as a response from an event, something that happens. We say praise the Lord, you know. You know, something, uh, hey, uh, you know, I, I got paid today. Praise the Lord. Um, I got up, the, got up this morning in standing vertical. Hallelujah. <laughs> we do that. Well, you know, back many, many years ago, it wasn't that way. It was a very, very liturgical form of just saying praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And people were saying praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. With the emphasis on who the Lord really was. And really is. That's the reason why we would sing Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Praise the Lord for who he really is. And we've sung about his greatness. How great thou art, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How great thou art. And the good thing about it is this wonderful, magnificent God that we serve, that created the universe. And we can't even fathom who he is or what he looks like or anything like that. This magnificent God that created every single one of us. The one who knows us so much that he even knows the very hairs on our head. He's just, uh, he's an awesome God. The one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Through all the good times and all the bad times. And folks, we've had some folks that have gone through some pretty bad times lately. But through all of that, he promises, I will never, never leave you. I want you to listen to the words of the, of the choir as they sing the song, Never Once.
Father, we come to you this morning because of who you are, not because of who we are. Father, in your sight, we are really nothing. Against you, we are nothing. Father, we're deserving of judgment. We're not deserving of your mercy. But God, you are such a gracious, loving Father. And Lord, through it all, through everything that goes on, you have promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. And we know that, God. As hard as times get for us, Lord, and sometimes as discouraging as it gets, Lord, we can always count on that one truth that you will never, ever leave us or forsake us. You'll never walk away from us. God, we thank you. And Lord, we can say, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord because of all that you have done and all you're going to do for us as we're here on earth. Until the day we all step into eternity, Lord, we will always praise you and honor you and give you thanks for who you are and all that you've done and the fact that you're with us all the way. Thank you again, Lord. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I really like that song. It's been one of my favorites over the years, and I haven't kept record of how many times they have sung that song, but every time I can say it's been fresh for me, and I just enjoy, enjoy listening to that. So thank you, Ron, and thank you, choir. We appreciate the ministry of those that labor intensively among us, and we thank you for your labor as a choir. And we appreciate all that, uh, all that you do. Well, yesterday, I came to the church at 7 o'clock approximately, got here a little late, um, had prayer breakfast with the guys. If you, don't, if you aren't involved in that, men, I'd encourage you to be. It's a wonderful time of fellowship together, just praying together. Uh, after the breakfast was over, then I went to my office and spent some time there working some more on this morning and making sure I was comfortable with what we were going to discuss today. And then I left here about 11 o'clock and I went to walk my two and a half miles and I did that. And about in the middle of that, I was like, I really don't want to do this today. But I did it anyway and finished the two and a half miles and and uh, got home and and had everything planned out exactly how I wanted it to go. Didn't want the phone to ring. Didn't want any texting. You know those kind of things. Uh, well, that that never happens. It it's always going off. But I had in my mind that right about the time that my wonderful Razorbacks would come on, that I would have an egg salad sandwich. I love to make egg salad. And Joan Eubanks taught me the correct way to do that, and it is absolutely wonderful. Well, I go, I get the eggs all cooked up and everything, and have all that in the bowl, and I'm getting out the mayonnaise. And my mayonnaise is not in the refrigerator. 
All I see is this jar of mayonnaise that says, Light Bama. (laughs) There's a lot wrong with that mayonnaise. And so I thought, well, what did my wife do with my mayonnaise? So she was out at her mom's house with the girls visiting, and so I called her. And I said, "Uh, dear, where is my mayonnaise? Because I am making egg salad, and I would like to have my Hellman's mayonnaise. Not light Hellman's, if there is a such thing. Hellman's, fat stuff, you know, the stuff that puts you on the table to get heart surgery, that kind of stuff. And um, she said, honey, I don't, I don't think we have any more. I think we're out of it. And so we began to have a discussion about mayonnaise. And there was some disagreement about mayonnaise. She said, honey, there's nothing wrong with that light Bama mayonnaise. Well... There is. <laughs> you just like the Bama part, Dean. The, there, there's nothing about light, man. It is, it's, it's disgusting. I felt like I was putting yogurt in my, um, my egg salad. And so we had a little disagreement because I want Hellman's in my refrigerator, dear, not light Bama. Well, that story wasn't even a part of today until it happened yesterday. It is true that there are times in the church where there are disagreements. Correct? Correct. So that if we were to have an open discussion this morning, just an open forum, and I said, just stand up and give me your thoughts on politics on the current state of our country and such, we would probably have a lot of similar thoughts, but there would be some differences. True? True. But we still come together on a Sunday morning and we worship the Lord together. If I said we're going to have an open discussion about the type of music you would like to have on Sunday mornings in the worship service, do you think there would be any disagreement? Yes, there would. And it would be an interesting discussion. We are not going to have that discussion. But it would be an interesting discussion. We could talk about what the proper attire is for a Sunday morning service. And if we wanted to get really specific, we could talk about what should the pastor wear on a Sunday morning. Should he wear a coat and tie? Is a coat just okay? Can he just wear slacks and a long sleeve shirt? Or can he even wear just khaki pants with a short sleeve shirt? And you know what would happen? There would be multiple viewpoints on that. Did you know that? Some of you right now are looking like, I am so glad that that has a coat on today. I'm glad you're glad. Um, the reason I'm wearing it is because I like it with this shirt. That is the about the only reason I'm wearing it. I have been wearing coats more lately than I got into some poison oak and it caused me a problem so I had to go back to short sleeves for a while. But I do, I do feel good. I'm actually a little cool this morning. Do not touch the thermostats. <clears throat> but it's nice to have the coat on. 
That would be an interesting discussion, wouldn't it? And you wouldn't mind talking about what the pastor should wear. It would just be, what should you wear? What things are acceptable to watch? That would be an interesting discussion, would it not? Things acceptable to listen to. You don't have to go very far to find that there are subjects that would bring about disagreement. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the issue of unity in the church. Unity does not mean uniformity. We're all different. Have you noticed? (laughs) Um, I'm actually a little jealous of the ones wearing short sleeves today. We all look different. We all have different preferences. Um, And we even find in the scriptures at times when there are arguments amongst believers. And did you know even in the scriptures we find where there are arguments between leaders? We find this in the book of Acts, chapter 15. I want you to turn there as we consider the subject of being separate but together. Acts chapter 15, and we're going to concentrate our efforts this morning on verses 36 through 41. I said just a minute ago that unity does not mean uniformity. One of the great illustrations of that would be this, that while there is one body, there are many members in that body. Paul uses that analogy in 1 Corinthians 12. We're one body, right? We serve one God, right? Um, But we are different. We have different talents. We have different gifts. We don't all have the same gifts. Um, He uses the human body as an analogy in 1 Corinthians 12. Some of us are feet. That's kind of an interesting thought. Some of us are eyes and we're ears and some legs, some arms. We're all different. So yet we have one purpose and we know from 1 Corinthians 12... That God placed each member in the body just as he purposed. He knows those that are the legs and the arms and the eyes and the ears. And it's okay. It's all right. Aren't you glad we don't all have the same spiritual gift? Let me give you an example. You need those people that have the gift of encouragement. Yes? You also need those people that have the gift of administration. Right? Those are kind of different. Both needed in the body of Christ. And so we understand that while we're all members of one body, we're all different. And we don't always think alike. You you walk in a church and, and you have viewpoints about different things. And some of those things are what I would label secondary things. They're just not dividing points, right? You might have a viewpoint of when the flags were up, the mission flags. Do you know, can you imagine, that I had people tell me what they thought about the flags being up? Can you imagine that? And some said that I like when the flags are up all the time. 
And some said, that I don't think it's as special if we leave the flags up all year round. And I thought, okay, who can I, what phone number can I give to these folks so they can call someone other than that? Whether the flags are up, now listen to this, or the flags are down, the main thing is that we are a church about missions. They're down now. So for all of those of you who wanted them down, and those of you who wanted them to stay up, oh well. (laughs) What we run into in Acts 15 is some disagreement. And it's between Paul and Barnabas. I imagine, just based on my reading of Scripture, that they had two different personalities. One seemed to be very boisterous, very strong-minded. Um, you would, he would be the guy in the church who would like to give you his opinion. And he would do it. Maybe whether you wanted to listen or not. He would tell you what he thought. Paul had a strong personality. We know that just based on his life before Christ and how he was. Um, But when it comes to Barnabas, Barnabas was a different kind of guy. Barnabas' name means what? Son of encouragement. He was a mercy guy. That didn't mean Paul didn't have mercy. But you understand the difference, right? And so Barnabas was a man who was an encourager. Now, I want to show you just a few things here this morning that will set us up for a bigger discussion. All right? Let's look at this. Chapter 15, verses 36 and 37. The first thing we see is the same mind. They have the same mind about something. Notice verse 36. After some days, now they're in Antioch, Paul, and, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. Just a few observations about some of the words that are used here in the text. First of all, that word visit. Now, Paul's addressing Barnabas here, and he says, let us return and visit the brethren in every city. Now, you'd say, Thad, why do we need to visit that word? Well, it's a pretty intense word. The word means to look after. It's real personal. So Paul had in mind, hey, this time we had with these folks who became believers on our first missionary journey, I mean, this is a personal issue. We need to look after them. The word can also mean to inspect. Imagine if you had someone in your life inspecting your relationship with the Lord. That's the idea here. Um, It means to take a close look at something. So what did Paul want to do? He wanted to travel with Barnabas back to those places they had ministered. And he wanted to take a close look into the lives of those who had become Christians. A good thing? Yes, a good thing. When people come to Christ, we don't just say, well, I'm glad you're part of us, and heaven is one day, and good luck. No, we follow up with those people, and that's exactly what's going on here with Paul 
in his mind uh, to return and to visit, it says, the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. I like that. I just like that phrase. Let's see how they're doing. Let's see what's going on in their life. You know, there's a reason Paul says in Titus that the older men and the, and the, the older women are to spend time with the younger. Why? The idea is to encourage them in their faith, to, right, to admonish them as they live the Christian life when that's needed. So Paul's mind was to return and to visit these folks. Well, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. Well, wanted is a word that we use all the time. She wanted to go here. He wanted to do this. That word wanted there is a pretty strong word in the Greek. It means Barnabas was determined. That's different. (laughs) He was persistent. Because you have to know we're missing part of the conversation here. He was persistent with Paul that he wanted to take John Mark. He was determined that that would happen. Well... It's okay that Barnabas wanted to take John, I believe. We're going to see that Paul had a different mind about it. But Barnabas was certainly on the same page with Paul about going back to those people that had come to Christ. So you have the same mind present in verses 36 and 37. But you have a different mind in 38 and 39a. Look what it says. But but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Well, that kind of looks difficult, doesn't it? And it continues to get more interesting. First part of verse 39, and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Uh Uh-oh. You got two believers, two leaders in the church who are doing what? They're arguing. There's dissension. There's disagreement here. Um, That phrase there, kept insisting, again, a pretty strong term. One of the things I love doing is I love doing word studies, and sometimes it just brings to life what's going on. It says, but Paul kept insisting. That phrase means he thought it right. That John Mark would not get. It means he didn't think it was proper to take John Mark with them. In fact, one of the meanings of the phrase is that he did not think he was worthy to be considered to go with them back to these places. Well, that's a little bit different than kept insisting. I think, well, he's just, you know, saying, hey, Paul, hey, Paul. No, no, no. He's, uh, Barnabas, he's saying it with purpose. Paul had a purpose behind it. Well, what was that? We'll look at it in just a minute. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them. He left them. Deserted means he left them. Okay? Simply said he left them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Now, that phrase, sharp disagreement, means irritation. There was a great irritation. You ever been irritated? Nah. We can just move along, right? Never been irritated. 
You ever been irritated with your children? Those lovely gifts that the Lord has given to us. You've been irritated with your children. Have you ever been irritated with those sweet little grandchildren that God gave you? Yes. I love my little grandchildren. They are as precious little girlies. But every once in a while they get under my skin. Is that possible that that even happens in the church? Irritation in the church? People that get under your skin in the church? We're not going to make a list of those people today. But it's true. Do leaders get irritated with leaders? Answer, yes. There was irritation. Have you ever had poison oak or ivy? You talk about irritation. I had it for three weeks strong. And that stuff was traveling. And it just started with a little spot on my arm. Next thing I know, it's here. Next thing I know, it's... How does it travel all over the place? In the bloodstream, I assume. And it's just popping up everywhere, and I'm itching. I went to the doctor twice. The first time I went for relief, the second time I went because I was irritated. Because the first time didn't work. Irritation happens. You say, well, why was Paul irritated? Well, I believe Paul was irritated because John Mark was a quitter. It's that simple. That's what we have. We don't have any more than that. We know that he deserted them. You say, well, how do you know that, Thad? Well, chapter 13, verse 13 tells us this, right? In the journey, it says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them. He abandoned them. He quit. You ever quit on somebody? Who hasn't quit? I mean, I told you yesterday, I wanted to quit after a mile. I was like, I do not want to do this. I was like, I need to do this. You ever talk to yourself, or am I the only one? And I'm walking, I'm like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to go two and a half miles. But I'm going two and a half miles. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. But we've all quit. When our kids were growing up, and they joined something... We didn't let them quit. Now, I don't know how that works out in families today. I got a mind that I think I might know. That's a whole nother road. But quitting, that's just not a good practice. So if our boys got in something, they could only quit at the end of the year or at the end of the activity. I remember one of my sons came home one day. Dad, I want to quit and it was a particular sport I said no yeah but dad I want to quit I was like well I know that but knows the answer but dad I mean but dad right but dad but mom you get so tired of that it's like hello this is real clear no you're going to stick with it now imagine in Christian circles how this works out practically you say to the children's director 
or to the women's director or to the men's. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be there. You can count on me. Careful when you say you can count on me. That's a really short phrase, <laughs> but it can get you in a lot of trouble. And you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, uh, if I can do that, I will do that. If nothing comes up, um, I think we just maybe should think about the way we phrase things. Because at times, it can be a discouragement, especially to those who are leading the ministries, when someone comes up and just says, I'm done, I quit. But we've all quit things. And as we get older, I don't know how that sits with you. Um, I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. But I've had time, you ever had time when you quit something and it wasn't the right thing to do? Well, John left them, and it bothered Paul, and he didn't want to take John Mark. And remember that what they saw in that first missionary journey was a lot of openness to the gospel by the Gentiles, which could have been what bothered John Mark, and so he left. But nonetheless, Paul did not want to take him with them. He said, what about Barnabas? So we know, we believe, what happened in the mind of, of Paul and why he didn't want to take John Mark. John Mark became a point of irritation for him because he thought he would potentially quit again. Barnabas, you know, he and John Mark were related. You knew that, right? So people often say, well, it was because... Um, they were related. That's why Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along. Well, that may have been part of it. I'm not saying that it's absent of that. But I think his name and the meaning of his name tells us why. He had a propensity to encourage. He wanted to give him another chance. You know those kind of people. Aren't we thankful for those kind of people? Because have you ever blown it and then had to go back to that same person? Hey, can I have another chance? at this um, that's happened maybe at a job that you've had or maybe a class that you're taking especially when it comes to exercise classes right well I just have a thought that there may be something even further that's tied to Barnabas mind of taking John Mark and I don't know this. I can't say, hey, this is 100% of what was going on in the mind of Barnabas. But I think it's interesting to think about the history of the relationship with Barnabas. Or, yeah, with Barnabas and with Saul, who became Paul. Did Saul, who became Paul, need encouragement? Well, you know what? He did. He needed somebody to walk alongside him after his conversion the Bible tells us this in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And I put, I wonder, because I just don't know. I don't know if, if Barnabas was thinking about all this when this dispute came up. But notice what it says here. Back in chapter 9. When he came to Jerusalem, he being Saul, he was trying to associate with the disciples. Normal? Yeah. But we would all admit, looking at the conversion of Saul, whoa. Because who was this guy? He was a persecutor of Christians. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. 
He, went, he was on his way to Damascus to get more names to do away with these people that belonged to the way. That guy was converted. And the Bible says here he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. <laughs> we go, those sissies, no, they're afraid, they're, they're afraid, they're scared. Not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas. This is not my notes, but... I, you like studying characters of the Bible? Some are not like on the front page. They don't even make the second or third page. They're kind of more on the you know, back page. People don't even read newspapers anymore. I picked up a trustful tribune the other day, and I had this guy look at me like, what are you doing? Well, I like to read the paper every once in a while. People don't read papers anymore. But it would be on the, what would be equivalent, maybe Barnabas wasn't, he's not on the front page. He might be in the middle, but he might even be more toward the end. And yet, wow, how significant. Listen, do you know how that can encourage you? You may be sitting here today going, you know, I really don't have much to offer. Yeah, you do. If you belong to the Lord, do you know that you've been given a spiritual gift and or gifts? You're valuable. There's no amount of money that can be attached to what God has given you. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, it says God has placed each member in the body just as he purposed. You need to function in your giftedness if for no other reason for your spouse who sits next to you that's a believer or for the person down the aisle that sits with you who's a believer or for your pastor who wants to see you function in your giftedness. Wow. But Barnabas son of encouragement, took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. You know what Barnabas did? He put himself right out there on the front line. He stood in the gap. Hey, let me tell you about what happened in this man's life. So I don't know if he's thinking about that, but I was thinking about that in my office this week and I'm like, wonder if that came up in the discussion. Who, who knows? We don't know. Anyway, all right. So they had a different mind about John Mark. But then we see in the end, there's the same work. They have the same work. They're not different in terms of what the Lord had called them to do. We know they were separated. The Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 13, that they were separated. They were set apart for the work that the Lord had called them to. So they had the same work. And it says here, And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. He went back where they started. But Paul chose Silas. We meet Silas in chapter 15, earlier on in verse 22. He was chosen to help communicate the council's decision, remember, uh, to Antioch. And then it says... But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. You say, why was there that commitment? I think there was that commitment. This is just a, my viewpoint. I think the commitment there by Paul to, uh, for Paul and Silas had to do with the fact that Silas had a relationship with his church in Antioch. I, I, that's my personal viewpoint. There's not a whole lot written on it. 
the things I want people to write about, they don't write about, right? There's not a whole lot written on that. But I look at this and I say, well, there was a connection between Silas and this church at Antioch. So just maybe that's what they were doing. I don't think they were affirming, my viewpoint, I don't think they were affirming Paul and Silas over that of Barnabas and John Mark. Because you remember back in chapter 13, the Bible tells us that, that um, the church there was involved when Paul and, and uh, Barnabas were first set apart for the Lord. It says, But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. He was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, we have in this text some disagreement, but at the end of the day, we got the same work. They're not going out there to do something different. They're going out there to strengthen these churches. Well, as I took a look at this, and I thought about this series on church leadership and kind of expectations that the church should have of elders, I wanted to give you some things to consider just from this particular passage. And then I want to give you two things to consider as it relates to the elders of grace. The, I put must consider. So, right, consider. Like if you tell a teenager to consider whether or not they want to go somewhere, I mean, they might give it a second to think about I'm talking about this needs to be something we really dwell on. First of all, notice Luke reports the contention between Paul and Barnabas. Why is that significant? Well, in the next statement here I wrote, he certainly could not be charged with presenting an ideal picture of the early church. In other words, everything was just perfect. Everything was neat in a nice, neat box wrapped up with a nice bow and tied perfectly. Hey, where you have people... You know what you're going to have? Disagreements. Right? Just recently, I'll give you one you don't even care about. Just recently, you have this new tour that started for professional golfers. It's called the Live Tour. It's Saudi-funded. Um, I don't like it. That's my opinion. It's all about the money. And I think greed, capital G-R-E-E-D, is in the center of that. That's my opinion. Well, they didn't call me and say, Dad, what do you think about this? They don't care. They didn't call you either, right? None of you got a call from the PGA Tour asking you what your thoughts were. But I don't like it. Well, then you have some PGA guys, former PGA guys, who are involved. Some who were, past tense, some of the guys I really liked a lot. And then you have on the other side, the guys who are committed to the PGA Tour. To the history of it. They value all that stuff. And they think you ought to earn your money. These guys are just being, checks being written. Uh, all you have to do, if you, you think, what's that talking about? Just Google it, and you will find dissertations on it. By one side, the Live Tour, and the other side, the PGA Tour. And it's a stink bomb. And, I mean, it's discussed all the time. Well, in the church, there are disagreements. 
I'm not asking you to think of several and start disseminating information after church. But there are disagreements. There are times of dissension. I like the fact that Luke doesn't paint this just, oh, everything was just nice and neat. No. You know what's awesome, though, in the midst of all this is there seems to be this one focus, and that's on the gospel and spreading the gospel. Well, second thing, the text does not dwell on who was right and who was wrong. I mean, right? Okay, all those over here who believe Barnabas is right, all those over here who believe Paul is right, yeah, doesn't say that. He doesn't dwell on that. Um, in fact, I'd say in this case, there wasn't one that was right and one that was wrong. They just had different viewpoints. But they both had valid concerns. What was Paul's concern? Uh, John Mark's going to walk away again. What's Barnabas' concern? That we're just going to punt John Mark out, out down the field and he's, he's useless. Do you know the end of the story with John Mark and Paul? I will tell this that Paul says, bring John Mark with you, for he is useful to me. Aren't we thankful for Barnabas, who walked with him? And there's a tendency, I think, at times, to punt people down the street. Can't do that. We need to walk beside him. They both had valid concerns. Barnabas wanted John Mark to be encouraged. Give him another chance. The disagreement wasn't a matter of heresy or immorality. You know, it's, they weren't the main things. They weren't disagreeing on the main things. This issue wasn't about what was the Jerusalem Council, which was grace, the gospel of grace. It wasn't about immorality. It was about, hey, we're going to take this guy or we're not going to take this guy. Um, I find that in the church there are times when People focus on the minors and not the majors. You agree with that or disagree? You can see, you can agree or disagree. Isn't that beautiful? But there's at times in the church too much focus on the secondary to the detriment of the primary. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, you might hear something like this. Well, I don't think they share the gospel the way they need to share it. Are they sharing the gospel? Yeah, but I just don't think they need to approach it like that. But are they sharing the gospel? Yeah. Well, I just don't think they need to approach it like that. Hello, they're sharing the gospel. So you have different personalities within the ministry of every church. But the disagreement here wasn't a matter of heresy or immorality. The separation, while real, didn't disrupt the main thing. It didn't disrupt it at all. In fact, I'm going to show you something else in just a second. The, the beautiful that comes from this. Separation, while real, didn't disrupt the main thing. Um, the text does not focus on the division of these two men. It doesn't avoid it. Luke doesn't avoid it. But I would, I would argue that he doesn't focus on the division of these two men but on the direction in which they went to fulfill the call in their lives. That's what the Bible tells us. It doesn't say, well, they had this sharp disagreement and shh, done. 
And we're left going, wow, what, was I, what happened? No. It tells us that John Mark was taken by Barnabas and they sailed to Cyprus. And it tells us Paul took Silas and they went to Syria and Cilicia. That's what happened. Okay? I think it's important. All right, the disagreement resulted in two missionary teams instead of one. <laughs> hey, there was just one, now there's two. You know what this reminded me of? Just the fact that God is good. And it reminded me of this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I think this is a great example of Romans 8, 28. Where in the midst of disagreement, God's working. It says, and we know that what God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to what? His purpose. Say, yeah, Thad, but disagreements are difficult. Yeah, they are. They are. Because you know what we have as humans? Emotion. It can be difficult. It can be painful. Um, I have a litany of examples I could give you in my own life. In the ministry over 32 years, I will spare you of that. But I've had disagreements with people. People have come to me. People have texted me. I'd rather you come to me. I don't think there's a... This is my personal opinion about something, so you can disagree with me. But I don't think there's anything like face-to-face. I just think you have to have the respect for the other person to come to them face-to-face. And certainly not to go behind their back and talk about something with someone else, which tends to happen in churches which the Lord addresses, there is to be no grumbling and no complaining. (laughs) Wow, that's tough. All right, then the last thing, this text should never be used to justify dissension. All right, they have dissension. I'm going to, you know, it's kind of like, I think there probably has been in the past, maybe a person every once in a while who's gone down that road of sin and said, well, David sinned with Bathsheba, so I'm going to go sin with this person. You think anybody ever thought of that? I think probably. I think people have thought about that. I think people have wrestled with that. We should never use this text to justify dissension. All right. So from that text, then I begin to think about this series on the elders and kind of, you know, we've been talking about that they guard the gospel, um, they guard integrity, they guard unity. And I'm thinking, okay, how does this all tie in? Because, because there are disagreements. I'm letting you in to the window of the elders' meetings. There are times of disagreement in elders' meetings. Can you imagine that? There are. But I would say this to you. The elders at Grace strive for unanimity. That's what we strive for. When there is not agreement, time is given to pray about the issues before we return to them. We don't just go, okay, how many of you? you No, 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 no. We're going to discuss this. We're going to pray about these things. Lord, help us 
to come to one mind in this. This is very critical that that, that happens. Um, it's not something that we just pass off and say, oh, well, you know, it's 8 to 2 or 7 to 3. No, no, no. We want unanimity. We want you to know that. And there's a lot of prayer that goes on behind the scenes. I know one of the things that happens every once in a while, somebody will come to me and say, hey, Dad, um, y'all been talking about that for a long time. Yeah, we have. But, you know, we've been doing more than talking. We've been praying. Well, how long does it take anyway? Don't know. We didn't put God on a clock. Sorry. But isn't that what you want your elders doing? Praying about things? Saying, Lord, what is it you want us to do? And he's not obligated to answer us the next second or the next day or the next week. And I know because I hear from time to time, wow, that it shouldn't take that long to make that decision. Well, you're not in the room. Sorry, I'm just being honest. But I can say this with the men that I've served with. We have given time to pray about the things that concern us and concern you. You need to know you're in the middle of all that. I remember one particular discussion we had years ago. And it was a really serious subject. And there needed to be unanimity on it. It was about restoring a believer to the fellowship. I'll never forget the room. I remember it was a Saturday and I was studying the issue from the scriptures. I spent all day on a Saturday studying it. And I had to preach the next morning. I'm pretty sure that happened. But I spent all day looking at that particular issue about restoring a repentant believer to the fellowship. And I remember coming to the elders and, and I remember saying, look, this is what I believe the, the Bible says. And I remember two or three are like, mm. not grunting like they wanted to, you know, shoot me or throw a spear at me. They were just grunting. And I know what grunting means. It means they're okay, you know. And so I encouraged them to go home and to study it. I said, you study what happened in the church in Corinth. You remember when someone had his father's wife and there was sin there? And Paul writes to them, and they weren't grievous over the sin that was taking place. I mean, he really gets on to them. But then there's this thing that goes on that we see the result of is this person repented. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul tells them, hey, you walk beside them. You don't just restore them to the fellowship. You walk with them. Well, when the guys came back for the next meeting, you know what happened? We were all on the same page. And I'll never forget, one of the elders said to all of us as elders, after next week, it may just be us and our wives. Are we good with that? You know what we said? We're good with that. Why? We're gonna, we have to do what God says. So there are times when there's disagreement, times where we have to consider a little more the issue or issues at hand. Now, you need to know that. Um, and I would, I would just say to you, too, that this is a good time to say this because I won't say it after this next point. If you need to come discuss something with the elders, please feel free to do that. We want you to do that. We're one body. 
many members, lots of different viewpoints about things. But we certainly can overlook things at times. <laughs> we're not perfect guys, okay? Uh, and oftentimes we look at each other, how in the world are we here? But it's the grace of the Lord. But we do have in mind you and most of all what the Lord says. Well, there's one more practical thing that comes from this, that comes from this argument piece that um, we see between um, Paul and Barnabas. And there are other examples. You remember when the disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest? <laughs> you know. So the elders at Grace cannot be pugnacious. Years ago, I was studying the qualifications, and I ran across that word, and I'm like, whoa. Man, that's, that's something. You know, I just read the word, and I'm like, yeah, I think I know what that means. But when I began to study it, I'm like, man, this is powerful here. No, I'm not saying that an elder will never sin, so I need you to hear that, okay? But it can't be a lifestyle that an elder is pugnacious. He can't have that lifestyle. He has to be gentle. He has to be peaceable. You say, Thad, what in the world does pugnacious mean? I'm glad you asked. It refers to one who is hot-headed or a striker. It literally means a striker. Now, initially, the Greeks uh, defined this more in terms of the physical, describing one who would literally get into a brawl. It can mean brawler, one who's willing to go to the ground, right, physically for whatever they're standing on. Um, but later on, the word came to increase in its meaning. I don't think I have. Yeah. Let me give you this quote. There's a quote that I don't know who wrote it, but here it is. A leader in the church must never want to settle a dispute with fighting. In fact, those who lead the flock must react to strenuous situations in a calm and gentle manner. You say, even when they're being yelled at? Yes, I've been yelled at. I'm not sure how many times. But I remember my first experience was with three ladies up in New York. They were not happy. And they were yelling at me. And I was like, this in my desk, like, oh, this doesn't feel good. They didn't tell us about this in school. Where's Dr. Hughley and George when I need them? But yes, even when you're being yelled at, you know, I've, there are verses that in your life where you're like, man, this, this, this means more now to me because I've experienced some things. A soft answer turns away wrath. Yep, it does. The in the church must never want to settle a dispute with fighting. In fact, those who lead the flock must react Strenuous situations in a calm and gentle manner, there must never be the thought of retaliation even. I'm going to get even. I mean, that's the kind of culture we live in. You know, you, you chop off, you know, my foot, I'm going to shoot you right in the heart or right in the head. It's not I want to get even. It's I want to do more. So for an elder... An elder can't have that mind. Now, I will say this. That is challenging. Just being honest. Because we're human. 
What's interesting, I, did, I know I didn't put this up there for you, but the Greeks over time widened the definition to include more than a physical response. In fact, the word came to refer to those who are argumentative, contentious, and quarrelsome. These are my words. These people wound others with their words while defending their point. These are people often willing to stir the pot without knowing all the facts. But they're going to stir it. They're going to do that. Might I encourage you to get all the facts before you start the stirring? I would encourage you never to stir. Go to the source. These people are in the church. They can't be in leadership. They may be sitting on your aisle today. These people tend to be gossips. They complain and grumble without going to the source. And in my opinion, they are dangerous. They're dangerous people. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, right? I have to be honest with you. I've had 32 years of listening to different things. In my opinion, they're dangerous and a detriment to unity. And so we certainly can't have those kind of people on the elder or deacon board. That can't happen. To have a man in leadership that is pugnacious will likely lead to disunity and seriously impact the leadership team. Please know the elders at Grace are not perfect. <laughs> not by a long shot. Just look here. We all sin. But a man in leadership cannot have a lifestyle of being a striker or a pot stirrer. That's some hard stuff to hear, isn't it? Sure it is. But I believe in the scriptures, the hard stuff is the stuff that we probably need to think on a little more. Unity is a beautiful thing. And that's what the Lord wants in his church. You know where that begins? That begins with your family. The Lord wants unity in the family. And then it just comes here. Unity is truly a beautiful picture. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with the gold saddle goatfish? Have you ever heard of a, goat, a gold saddle goatfish? Say that three or four times. I can't do it. The gold saddle goatfish is a small fish. It's native to the Hawaiian reefs with a distinctive coloring. Well, in the last several years, divers in Hawaii have come across a fascinating phenomenon. During their regular dives, they've begun to notice a large fish with the same brilliant colors as the gold saddle goatfish. Upon closer inspection, the divers realized this wasn't one large fish, but in fact a school of gold Saddlefish swimming together in such impressive unity and in such a perfect fish-shaped pattern as to appear like one large fish. Imagine if the church functioned like the saddlefish. Because let me tell you something. People in the church are watching, but can you imagine when a visitor or an unbeliever comes through the door? Are they seeing several little fish? Or are they seeing this one large fish that's in step and in unity together?
Let's pray. Father, as we dig into your word, there are a lot of tough things to consider. We first want to thank you, Father, for the grace that's been extended to us. Father, we recognize that we are fallen men and fallen women who have been brought into fellowship with you, Father, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith. And we realize that in the church, there are going to be times, Father, of disagreement. We read about it in the scriptures. We fully understand it. But we want to function in a way, Father, that pleases you. And so my prayer is that you would help us as individually we walk this life, that we might consider others more than we consider ourselves. That we might be men and women of faith who strive for the unity of the church. That we would consider how important it is that we would be unified together. Yes, Lord, we understand we're going to disagree on some secondary things. It's going to happen. It happens all the time. But on those primary things, as I look at Acts 15 and I see this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, I go, wow, Lord, at the end of the day, you multiplied their ministry, you brought others into it, and your gospel continued to progress. So we know that, indeed, all things work together for good. But, Lord, in the midst of it, it's difficult, and we need your help to preserve the unity. We cannot do it on our own. We have to have your spirit that leads us and that guides us into all the truth. I pray you would help us in that. Help us to be unifiers, not dividers, as we consider the main things that you've given us to do. As I talked about earlier, I love those mission flags. You know, my preference would be they'd stay up till you came. But that's just a preference. It doesn't have to be what I want. But at the end of the day, we can all in this building agree that missions is critical. It's your heart. So help us to be able to differentiate between those things that are primary and those things that are secondary. And I pray that you would please help the leadership, the elders and deacons, as we serve this church, this body of believers. We need your help. And all this we pray in the name of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to give you an uh, update about our... Um, Look for a um, helper. I need a helper. <laughs> now, we can discuss whether I need one or not. You might agree or disagree, but uh, we need a helper. And I'd love to have one. I have a wonderful helper in my wife, but I need one here that can help in the ministry. And uh, we had a guy and his wife scheduled to come this weekend. And I had a conversation with him just a couple of weeks ago or so. And they made a decision they were not going to come and candidate for the position. So that's why we didn't have anything going on this weekend. Uh, and I have found in these things that the Lord's in control and that there's a reason that he did not come and his wife did not come. So while I pray for their life and their ministry, I know that the Lord has just that right person to come alongside and to hopefully work in a Paul-Timothy relationship. That's what I'm looking for. In case you're wanting to know which one's Timothy, that would probably not be me. 
because I'm a little older than I was. So um, you just pray about that for us and know that the elders are always, you know, looking into these things. And, um, you know, know that, yeah, we have a committee of people that have been on this and uh, that committee is made up of three elders. But the elders are always discussing these things because we know how important it is for the advancement of this fellowship and the health of this body. So you pray for us, and we really, really would appreciate that. Guys, I hope you have a wonderful day. And um, it's raining outside. And it was raining when you came this morning. Some of you were really wet. We might need to buy some towels that these people can dry off with when they come through. So great to see all of you. This morning, if you're visiting with us, we appreciate you being here. And you make sure you speak to somebody before you leave today. All right?